Today, um, we continue our sermon series through the Ten Commandments, and we come to the fifth. Um, this sermon sat very heavily on my heart this entire week for two reasons. One, one because I struggle with this commandment, and it always sits heavily on me when I struggle with things that I'm preaching about. Secondly, though, having been a pastor for 20-some years and the conversations that I've had, the number of stories and conversations I've had and where folks are still dealing and wrestling with deep sense of resentment, bitterness, and anger towards parents and family members is very real and it's very raw. So I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would speak today, that in some ways I would get out of the way and allow God to speak. Um, let me show you a picture. This is my, uh, my family. Oh, can't really see me because I'm so dark. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. It was this summer. I was in Korea for two weeks, and it was at a restaurant. Um, I hadn't seen my parents about, in about four years. It was an opportunity for me to go see them. So it's, it's my folks right there, my mom, my dad. My dad's 76. My mom's 71. Uh, I'm the oldest of three. Um, when I was growing up, my parents would tell me this story, and I think it's actually a story that's been translated in cross-culture like a lot of really good fairy tales. It would tell me this story, a story about a little man, an old, old man, very weak and very fragile man, who wasn't very lucid. He was really late on in his years. He lived with his son and his son's wife. Um... And the, little, the, uh, the old man uh, struggled just with day-to-day things, particularly when he came to eating and feeding himself. And so he would drop things as he was eating them and make a mess and so on and so forth. The daughter-in-law, who didn't particularly care for her father-in-law, the husband's father, um, grew resentful grew angry, and eventually began to turn her husband towards her father as well. One day, this old man was eating his food, and and he dropped the bowl, as he was sometimes accustomed to doing. And in anger, she walked over to him and said, that's it. I'm tired of cleaning up after your mess. Tired of cleaning up after your mess. If you're going to eat like that, I'm going to put you in a corner. She took him and put him in the corner of the little house and set his table there and allowed him to eat there. And day after day, this man, not really recognizing, knowing what's going on, would eat his meal. And one day, the man was eating his meal, and he dropped the bowl, and the bowl shattered. And the woman grew angry again and went up to her father-in-law and said, That's it. If you're going to eat like a pig, I might as well feed you like a pig. So she walked outside and got a feeding trough. This was a farm. And brought it inside the house, put it in front of her father-in-law, gave him food and said, this is where you're going to eat from now. Weeks and months passed. And the woman and her husband, one day noticing their son, who was about five years old, playing and making something with wood. And the wife said to the son, son, what are you making? And his answer was, oh, I'm making a trough so that when you and dad get old, I could feed you out of it. And went back about making the trough. And the wife and the husband, stunned, looked at each other, began to weep, began to weep. They walked into the other room, held his father and her father-in-law, brought him inside to the dining room, sat him at the most comfortable chair, cleaned up after him, and cared for him. My parents would tell me this tale growing up. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you might be familiar with it. You've heard it too. It's a good fairy tale. 
a powerful tale. And it gets to the essence of the fifth commandment that says, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. Two things real quick. Number one, for those of you that already feel really uncomfortable at what the Bible says, I want to encourage you to stay for the whole thing. Don't rush to snap judgments about what you think this means. Stay for the whole thing. If you can. Won't be offended if you can't. But if you can. Number two. Let's give some context to the Ten Commandments. As I've been doing each week. Remember the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites. Not while they're still in slavery in Egypt. But after they were freed. God was saying through the Ten Commandments. Grace comes first. Setting free, being set free from slavery comes first. God delivers the nation of Israel purely out of grace, as an act of grace. And then they stand in front of Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. Grace comes first. Grace always comes first. Secondly, we said that people think of Ten Commandments like they think of any other rules in the Bible. They think of it as restricting, as, as binding, as enslaving. When in fact what God was saying to the Ten Commandments is what? This is the way to freedom. Why? Because freedom comes when we honor God's design for our lives. Freedom comes when we honor God's design for our lives. We read the Ten Commandments as this is what you have to do. But what we've been saying is what? The Ten Commandments are essentially saying this is who you are. The one who created us and the one who made us says that when we obey and live according to the Ten Commandments, we're living not in bondage but in freedom the way we were created to live. That's why what we've been saying is that we don't so much break the Ten Commandments as we break ourselves when we violate them. The laws of God are not arbitrary. This isn't God just going, here, obey, just because. God says you want to live free, truly free, then obey. This is the way to freedom. The one who designed this says, this is the way to freedom. That's why when we move against the law of God, we move against ourselves. When you tramp on the law of God, we tramp on ourselves. Of the Ten Commandments, verse 4 are how we relate to God. And then now we're about to enter into the next six, which gets to how we relate to other human beings. And the first of the six on how we relate to other human beings is what? Our relationship to our family. Our relationship to our parents. As if God was saying, this is the primary, the first, the most important of all human relationships. Here's the thing that we're going to begin to see for the next four or five weeks. Honoring God's design for you has ramifications, not just for you, but what? Also for the community at large. Can I just ask a question, Christian or not? Do you think our society, our culture would be better if there was no more adultery? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you think... Do you think our society would be better if there was no murder? Do you think if there's no steal? I don't, it's ridiculous. Of course it is. Of course our culture, society would work better if some of these commandments were being lived out. Our obedience to the law of God impacts the larger community. And so let's really narrow down and hone in on this one when God says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. And some people just think, well, that means that if you obey honor, honor your parents, then what? That you'll live long. That you'll live a long life. We know that's not what it possibly means because I know people that honor their fathers and mothers who die early. This has nothing to do with longevity of human life. So what is God saying? 
To better understand what, Deuter- uh, what, what Exodus 20 means, we go to Deuteronomy 4, where, where we see a, uh, an expounded version of the commandments. And God says, according to this commandment, honor your father and mother, listen to this, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and so you all may live long in the land your God gives you. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and your children after you. Real quick, real quick. I'm going to get to this a little bit later. The reason why that's important is the Ten Commandments, and particularly the commandment, honor your father and mother, were given to adult children. Why is that important? There's a difference between obedience to our parents and honoring our parents. Mm, okay. Some of you, that's... Maybe the only thing you need to hear today, because you've been so confused. Yes, I'm talking to you Asians. Aren't they the same thing? No, they're not the same thing. Obeying your parents and honoring them. The Ten Commandments are given to adult children. Did you hear what I said? Okay. And then so you all may live long in the land your, your God gives you. Why is that important? Because what God is saying is failure to do this will result in societal breakdown. Failure to do this, this commandment will result in societal breakdown. God says the land, the place you're living in won't work. You can't live long and happily if this commandment is being lived out. Society won't work if family doesn't work. Whenever the Bible says anything about honoring your parents, listen, it's not just about you and your mom and dad. It has societal community implications. Real quick, just as an intro. There's a general consensus on the part of most people that there's increasing social unrest, social disorder in our culture. There's more crime. There's less civility. There's less honesty. There's less integrity. And on and on and on. And there's a consensus that something is wrong. And it seems to me, when I listen to our culture, when I listen to politicians, when I listen to some of you, we fall on one of two sort of radical sort of opposites. Some people go, you know what it is? It's unjust systems. It's unjust social systems. It's things like racism and other things like that that cause this side of breakdown. And then there's other people who say what? No, it's the family. It's the family. It's single parents. It's absent fathers. It's the family breakdown. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the answer is what? It's both. Society won't work if the powerful continue to oppress the powerless. There won't be shalom. There needs to be justice. But the Bible also says that you need healthy families. Why? In healthy families, you learn at least one of two things. One, in healthy families, you learn that you're loved, that you're cared for, that there's validation to you. You learn self-respect. But you know what else you learn, family? You learn to put your own individual needs aside for the needs of the family as a whole. In healthy families, you learn to be selfless and to care for someone larger than just you. And the Bible says over and over again, honor your father and mother. Why? If you don't, society unravels because family unravels. That's why in the Old Testament, <laughs> man, as a parent, I'm like, I don't, wouldn't mind going back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, I'm just joking. Children being malicious against their parents, children being violent to their parents, was punished by the community. It was punished by the community. It wasn't a private crime. It was a public crime. The community saw an assault on the family as an assault on what? On the community. And we live in a culture that says, for example, if a husband abuses his wife, it's a private crime. It's a domestic issue. It's not a public crime. It's a private crime. And the Bible says that's incredibly unbiblical. Is that good news? Because the Bible saw an assault inside the family as an assault against the public good. That's why the Bible says a society that lets the family unravel is eventually supporting its own unraveling. A society that destroys a family destroys itself. Now, there's always going to be bad families. There's always going to be horrible families. But if the family doesn't work well, there's no living long in the land, the Bible says, and happy. So what does this mean? You guys ready to tackle this? Okay, let's tackle this commandment. As we've been doing throughout this sermon, we take the commandment and then we look at another passage where the passage expounds on it and we go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, chapter 6. Ephesians 6, chapter 6. 
Ephesians 6, it's chapter 6, okay. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. As I said before, listen very carefully, paying attention, taking notes. Obey, obey, obey. It's not the same thing as honor. There have been some people who took this very passage and said, obey means honor. Honor means obey. They're the same thing. They're not the same thing. Verse 2 is building on verse 1 when it says honor. Honor your father and mother is not a clarification of obey your parents. It's an addition. And we're going to see that. Which is the first commandment with the promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Verse 4, fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's something for parents today and there's something for children today. It's not just for children. There's something for parents today. Matter of fact, full disclosure, there's more for us parents than there's for children. We'll look at both. Before we can see what it means to honor, let's first notice what doesn't command. And this is going to be helpful for some of us. Honor is not commanding affection. Honor is not commanding affection. You may have wonderful, great, marvelous parents, and you feel strong affection for them. Great for you. Some of us might have evil parents. And if you have parents who've been evil to you, who've been harmful to you, it's very difficult, perhaps even unhealthy and impossible to feel loving towards our parents. But honor is not an emotion. Honor is a moral choice. The commandment is not commanding. Feel affectionate towards your parents. Many of you don't. And the Bible says, I'm not commanding affection, loving feelings. I'm commanding honor. You hanging in there so far? Secondly, it also doesn't command admiration. Some of you think your parents are the greatest thing since bread. That's wonderful for you. It's wonderful that you admire your parents. By the way, I came here when I was 10 years old. Does anybody know how that phrase, greatest thing since sliced bread, became like an idiom? Because sliced bread is awesome. Is that what it is? Okay. So for Asians, it'd be like, it's the greatest thing since it's like really well-cooked rice or something like that. But we don't have such a saying. Anyway, the command doesn't command admiration. Third, and this is important, it also doesn't command obedience. And I need to spend a little bit, give me like two minutes on this. It doesn't command obedience. In other words, the command is not that you always do what they wish. The command is to honor them. Let's do some Bible study. The word kabed, which is a Hebrew word for honor. Kabed. Everybody say kabed. One more time, kabed. The root word of kabed means to give weight. And in the Old Testament, when you look at this word study, it's used to describe the power of Pharaoh, the wealth of Abraham, the number of Edomites, and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are some of the ways in which the word is used. In other words, when the Bible uses honor or kabet, it talks about weighty power, weighty wealth, weighty number, and weighty sin. And here we see another respect. We can call it weighty recognition or weighty respect. Kaber, as far as my word study goes, is never used in the Old Testament. Never used in the Old Testament. Never use the Old Testament to mean obey. Honor. Give weight. What does it mean to give weight to our fathers and mothers? The word picture actually is weights and scales. Weights and scales. Let me give you an example. When you're weighing a decision, you give facts different weights. You give facts different weights, different considerations. And Exodus 20 is telling me this. When my parents have a position on a decision I'm making, how many of you are doing that right now? Have a decision you're making? So asking your parents, so what do you think? When you have a decision you're making, you're giving weight to your parents' say. What does that mean? That means that if your parents know you well, they love you, they care for you, they're more experienced than you because they're older than you, they may have wisdom and direction from the Lord on it, but at the end of the day, please pay attention. At the end of the day, you give their thoughts, their opinions, weight. Significant weight, yes, but you give them weight to what they're saying, what they want you to do. 
Not more, not less. It'd be absolutely foolish to throw out what they say. But the Bible says just as foolish if you let it simply be the final say in matters of decisions you're making. Some parents are right more of the time. Some of our parents are right rarely. And the Bible says when you give weight, honor, give weight to their opinions and to their thoughts, you're honoring them. But the final responsibility rests on you. The Bible is so wise in that it commands honor and not obedience because the relationship between a child and a parent is incredibly complex. Would you agree? It changes. Right now, I could care less. I could care less if my four-year-old Noah wants to give weight to the things that I ask him to do. Why? Because he's four. Because as a four-year-old, his obedience to my decisions and to my opinions is a matter of life and death. Noah, don't stick the metal chopstick inside the outlet. Hmm, let me give some weight to that. No! You do what I say. You're four years old. But the Bible says, listen, young adults. The Bible says at some point, you need to grow up. You need to be raised up. It's pathological for you as a 28-year-old to act like you're still four. Some of you sit there and go, well, that's my parents' fault. I know I'm going to get to them in a bit. Because, because I know you're the way you are because of your parents. I know that. So we're getting to them. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say it as gently and firmly as possible. The Bible says at some point, Literally, we're to forsake or leave our parents and to cleave to another. So for you to depend on your parents and to be related to them like you're still four years old is not only unhealthy, it's unbiblical. We're supposed to be brought up. This command is so wise. I'm going to get to the parents in one minute. And that it commands both honor, honor, and not affection, not admiration, not obedience. Can I just ask, is this helpful so far for some of you? Because for some of us, we grew up with parents who were admirable, wise, and godly. But some parents, frankly, were evil, maybe even harmful. And for you to obey them or trust them, for you to admire them would be to live a lie. It would be very unwise. But the one thing, but the one thing you must always do, but the one thing you must always do, the Bible says, is you must always give them, no matter what age you are, no matter what condition they're in, no matter what kind of person you are, no matter what kind of people they are, you must give them honor. Again, this is important because for some of us, we've been stuck. Because you're like, honor them, that means I need to obey them. No. Honor them, I need to feel affection. No. Honor them, I need to do what? No. Honor them. Honor them. Parents, can I talk to you for like 10 minutes? Can I talk to you for 10 minutes? And soon to be parents? Parents, there are three things for you. And then children, there are three things for us. Okay? Parents, look at verse 4. Fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Here are three things that we need to do. The first one, the first one that we are called to do to fulfill our office, if you as parents, it's not discipline. It's not love them. It's to teach them. Teach them. Teach your children. Teach them what, Peter? Teach them what's right and what's wrong. Teach them what's important and what's not. Teach them what matters in life and what doesn't. Teach them what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. Teach them. Are you doing that? The essence of parenting, and I get to this, it's not discipline. That's important, but it's a means. The essence of parenting is not love them. The essence of parenting 
It's through discipline and love you teach them. Teach them what's important, what's not. What to live for, what to die for, what's important and what isn't. And let me show you the biblical view and why it's a corrective for the two sort of views out there about parenting. For some of us, we came from traditional families. And in traditional families, particularly in the past, traditional families' view of parenting was about power, was about ownership, and was about control. In many societies in the past, and even today, the father owned the children. The father could kill the children, and the society could do nothing about it. Why? He owned them. Complete ownership. For some of us who grew up in traditional families, even though made up that extreme, when you think of your parents, you think of what? Control, power, unconditioned or unquestioned authority. And the Bible says no. Secondly, though, It's so interesting for me to be Korean-American bicultural (sighs) because I live in a culture where there's been a tremendous shift, by the way. Some of you that are, you know, children psychologists and you work with parenting, you know this. There's been a huge shift in the the West in the last 30, 40 years where people have said we have to change our whole concept of parenting. And it goes something like this. Parents, you can't impose your beliefs on your children. You can't tell them what's right or wrong. Some of you sitting there going, who believes that? Are you kidding me? Go to a Barnes and Noble's bookstore and browse through some parenting books. Don't impose your beliefs on your children. Don't tell them what's right and what's wrong. You shouldn't exercise your authority as parents over your children. Why? This is a crazy thing. Because parents don't know. You're not an expert. So your job, find the experts, get the experts, and let them do the work. Why? You don't know. You're not the expert. What do we do as parents then? Well, here's what the books say. Provide emotional warmth and unconditional acceptance. And let them choose. Let them decide what their values are. Let them decide what to do with their lives. Your job, get them to the right schools. Your job, get them to the right children's ministry. And let them do the work. And the Bible says, are you kidding me? (laughs) My translation God says that the essence of parenting is not power and control. The essence of parenting is not providing emotional warmth and acceptance. The essence of parenting and to instruct is to teach your kids what's right and what's wrong. Teach them what's important and what isn't. Your job is to teach your children what is worth living for and what is worth dying for. That's the call of parents. And no, you don't outsource this. You don't outsource this to anybody else. Most of us intrinsically know as parents that it's our job to pass our values to our children. And good parents do that. What will destroy a child's respect for you is not if you teach them the wrong things and later on they decide that it's right or wrong. What will destroy a child's respect for you is if you teach them nothing. Your children will lose respect for you. Not if you teach them the wrong kind of authority. And as they grow up, they wait and go, that was good, that isn't. What will cause them to lose respect for you is if they see you don't believe anything. And what they see is that you don't practice what you say you believe. Parents... Our call is to preach what we practice and to practice what we preach. That will cause your child to respect you. For those of you that are new, some of you are going, why is he shouting? (laughs) Ask somebody who's been here, say, because he's preaching to himself. He feels really bad about himself. That's why he's shouting. He does that. Does this make sense? Parents, you need to let this sit. You need to let this sit. And for those of you sitting there going, you tell them, Peter. My parents, they suck. You should tell them. I can't wait to get this podcast. I'm coming to you later. (laughs) Listen, uh, I need to share this. I, I, This is, according to data from the latest wave 
of National Study of Youth and Religion. Some of you that want to go look it up, you can do this. <sighs> I'm like debating. I'm like, I don't have time. I just need to share this. Listen, just 1% of teens, according to this study, by the way, done by uh, a Notre Dame sociologist, Christian Smith, who's done some amazing work around religion and sociology. Just 1% of teens ages 15 to 17 raised by parents who attach little importance to their faith were highly active, actively religious in their mid to late 20s. In contrast, 82% of parents, or 82% of children raised by parents, listen to this, 82% of children raised by parents who talked about their faith at home, who attached great importance to their beliefs, and who were active in their congregation were themselves in their 20s active and faithful to their faith. The connection, Christian Smith says, is nearly deterministic. Other factors such as youth ministry or pastors or service projects or religious schools pale in comparison. No other conceivable causal influence comes remotely close to matching the influence of parents on the religious faith and practice of their youth. Parents just dominate. One of the strongest factors associated with older teens keeping their faith as young adults was having parents who talked about their faith and spirituality at home. Other key factors included having parents for whom personal faith is important and who demonstrate their faith through attending services. Teens whose parents attend worship with them were especially likely to be religiously active as young adults. Among related findings, parents from religious traditions that promote greater commitment and encourage discussing faith outside the church also were more likely of children who remained active in their faith as young adults. Two-thirds of teens raised by black Protestant parents and half of adolescents with conservative Protestant parents had high or moderate levels of religiousness as young adults. On the other hand, 70% of teens raised by mainline Protestant parents had minimal or lower levels of religiousness as young adults. In interviews, many mainline Protestants Protestant parents said, listen to this, they, you know, I feel guilty if they think they're doing, the the, the parents said they feel guilty if they think they are doing anything to direct their children toward their religion as opposed to any other possibility. These are parents who said, there's a sense like, well, you should, should you, should you tell your child that what I believe is right? Yet if parents and faith communities are not able to communicate their beliefs, Christian Smith said, the game's over already. In the case of faith formation, many parents consider that to be the responsibility of clergy, Sunday schools, youth groups. Smith said, for their part, parents need to realize a hands-off approach to religion has consequences. Parents, for better or worse, are actually the most influential pastors of their children. Parents set a kind of glass ceiling of religious commitment above which their children rarely rise. This is why when I was a youth pastor for eight years and as a pastor of this church, when a parent came to me and said, we're looking for another church because I want to take them to a better children's youth group, I said this to them. Your child will spend 45 minutes to one hour during the entire week with that person. You will have them for the rest of the hours. Do not outsource what you are called to do. Parents, some of you are sending, well, Peter, what if my children grow up and they don't believe exactly what I teach them? If you give your children the wrong kind of teaching authority, they may grow up and say that was wrong and misguided. I'm going to find the right kind of right or wrong. But if you give your children no teaching authority at all, they will grow up not believing there is right or wrong. Can I say that again? If you give your children the wrong kind of teaching authority, I'm not so arrogant as to think that when Parker gets old, he'll be like, everything my dad taught me was exactly right. Are you kidding me? But my job is to teach. So when he grows up, he'll say, there is a right and wrong. There is good and evil. There is better and worse. But if you're not teaching your child anything at all, they may grow up going, is there right or wrong? Is there good and bad? 
Children, do you know why this is important? So they go, my parents were terrible. Of course they were. My parents gave me bad advice. Of course they did. My parents didn't know what they were talking about. Of course they did. But did they teach you? Did they instruct? Did they try to fulfill their office as parents? Secondly, I'm almost done with you parents, okay? Parents, secondly, bring them up. The whole purpose of teaching your child. Parents, say, I'm here if you hear me. Say, I'm here. The whole purpose of parenting to teach your child is not to make them more controlled or more dependent on you, but to bring them up. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Raise them up means... Make them independent of you. Raise them up means bring them to the place of critical freedom to where their child can make his or her own decisions and get out from under you. The very second you... (laughs) Y'all need to know their daughter is sitting right next to him, okay? Their daughter is sitting right next to all of them, all of them, okay? All of them, okay? The entire family is sitting right there. So when the daddy's going, yes, 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 yes. How far can I? Yes. That's what's going on, okay? In case you're wondering. Parents, the moment we start teaching, we're preparing them to not need us anymore. The whole purpose of parenting is to teach with authority so that child gets to that place where he doesn't need your authority anymore. We teach them with authority so that that child grows up, matures, becomes wise. And he doesn't need your authority anymore. There's a kind of parenting that wants control. Korean parents, good Lord. Right? Korean parents, some of you out there, I know who you are. Asian parents, we want to control. We want to make them dependent on us as long as possible. That's bad parenting. There's another kind of parenting, just wants emotional warmth. I was going to say white parents, but I don't want to stereotype. We all do it. But in both situations, control, power, manipulation, warmth, loving, acceptance, they're not growing up. They're not growing up. The purpose of Christian parenting is to get the child to the place where they no longer need your authority anymore. The purpose of parenting is not to get yourself a retirement plan. The purpose of parenting is not to get yourself servants I might have to bar those of you all Asians from like sending to your parents for like six months, okay? Until like you actually sit on this and the curves of parenting is not to get yourself lifelong friends who will adore you and delay. Purpose of parenting is raise them up, bring them up so they don't need your authority anymore. Raise them up, bring them up so they're independent of your authority. They don't have to listen to everything that you say. All they have to do is to honor you. All they have to do, the only thing they have to give you anymore is honor because they've grown up, they've matured. Third, parents, don't exasperate your children. Teaching is the purpose of parenting, but the means to that end is both discipline and love. Discipline and love. Discipline. I know I'm speaking to a multi-ethnic congregation, so I know that when we talk about discipline, we're all over the place. Okay? So I'm not going to get into that. I can't spend too much time on it. What I will say this. If you are not exercising discipline in your children, you're failing at your office. And secondly, your discipline has to have teeth in it. Now, Noah Bear, don't do that anymore, okay? That's not discipline with teeth. Discipline with teeth in it. We live in a culture that says don't exert authority, don't discipline. I'm not going to tell you how to discipline your children. Not my job. Discipline your children. 
and make sure there's some teeth in it. Secondly, though, it's got to be not harsh discipline, but loving discipline. Colossians 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Embitter literally means um, moms, young moms, young dads, can you guys look up here? Embitter, do you know what embitter literally means? It's the challenge to a boxing match. Parents, don't get into a battle of the wills with your child. Yeah, you know who I'm talking to. I'm staring right at you. Some of us are like, oh, why are you getting into a battle of the will with your children? And then, of course, you're going, I'll show you who's boss. No, no. Don't embitter your children. Don't get into boxing matches of the will with them. Martin Luther said this. I had to research. I'm like, did he really? I had to research. And he actually said this. Martin Luther said this. Spare the rod and spoil the child. That is true. But also beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he is done well. Martin Luther apparently grew up with a really harsh father who said, I will discipline my child, but purely through harsh discipline, not through relationship, not through love. Parenting, exerting your authority is both discipline and love. Okay, enough of the parents. I got to end with children because this is about children. Children, we're asked to do three things. Almost done here. One, take your parents seriously. Two, forgive them. And three, you have to make sure you are a son or daughter of your heavenly father. Oh. One, take your father and mother seriously. Can we just totally be honest here? How many of us treat our parents flippantly? Okay. I'm going to get to do not lie. Commitment. That's like three weeks from now. I'm going to ask again. How many of us? Okay, no, you're not all the are guilty of treating our parents flippantly. Okay, I won't push you. Honor, give weight. What does it mean? Treat your parents like they're significant. Don't treat them flippantly. Don't treat them like they're Treat them. How do you do that, Peter? Here's some th- three things. One, familiar symbols. What do I mean? I grew up in Asian culture, and I love this about my culture. We're the oldest at the head of the table. We still do that. That picture, we wait. My dad sits at the head of the table. And it's not like, oh, no, 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 no. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. He's like this tall, okay? It's not like that. <laughs> He's like this tall. I'm serious, okay? He's this tiny little man. He just kind of, you know, and he's, he just sits there. And you know what else we do in the Asian culture? We wait until the oldest person has that first bite. And I just think that's beautiful. I just think there's something like, oh, man. I just, familiar symbols. You know what that means for some of you? That means remembering your parents' anniversaries and birthdays. Familiar symbols. There's one other familiar symbol. That means asking them for their opinion on things and genuinely listening to it. Even if you're not sure you're going to take their advice. So it's not, well, he told me to honor my parents, so I'm going to call my parents. And while they're talking, you're going, no. Ask your parents for their opinion and genuinely, genuinely take it seriously. Secondly, how do you honor your parents? Take them seriously. Honor the fact that they need to see themselves in you. What do I mean? I'm only now beginning to realize that my child does really well. My chest swells. Like Parker, he's represented his class in spelling bee. Oh, man. Dad is more nervous out there than him. Like my wife is like, why are your palms so sweaty? Because every single, every single letter that's been dropped, it's like I'm up there doing the stupid thing. You know what I mean? And Parker one year came in second place. He just said, I was walking on cloud nine. And I'm like, oh, my son. Vice versa, vice versa. When my children get in trouble, I feel dishonored. You know why? The Bible says you see your image in your child. Do you know how you can honor your parents? Call them up today or send time to go, Dad, you know the thing that you and Mom always did? You know, I still do that. Take one good thing, one good thing that you learned from your parents and say, I appreciate that you, you did that and you modeled that. And I still do today that honors their desire to see their image and you go, oh, that's my son. Yeah. Secondly, 
Oh, one other. I'm sorry. Take them seriously. <laughs> Do you remember how you used to grow up? You used to hate it when your parents act like they knew you. Do you remember that? You remember? Like they knew what you were thinking. For me, like they knew what you meant, you know. Not only that, but they still see you like you're 17 years old. Do you remember, do you remember how you used to hate that? Don't do that to your parents. Do you act like you know exactly what your parents are thinking all the time? Do you act like you know exactly why your parents do what they do? You sometimes cut them off and go, I already know what you... We don't like it when they do it to us. Are you doing it to them? Honor their mystery. Honor their mystery. Recognize that they're people just like us and they still change. Don't assume to know what they mean, what they say. And don't stereotype them. Secondly, not only take them seriously, but you have to forgive them. I apologize in advance. I don't have a lot of time because I need to finish. You see, you can come on up. What do I mean? You have to forgive them. I preached on this, spent three weeks on it like a couple of years ago. So I'm going to encourage you to go back because I can't just, just to do it in the next minute or two. But there's a tremendous amount of resentment that comes towards parents. And for many, here's what I'm hearing and here's what I sense. It's the critical nature of parent-child relationship. Parent-child relationship, we start off as parents being really big and us really small. What do I mean? We start off as being really, really dependent on our parents because we need to. And eventually, we grow up. Eventually, they give us more freedom. Eventually, we come to a place where we make decisions on our own. And sometimes it reverses where we get stronger and they get weaker. But for some of us, our parents kicked us out into the world too soon. We couldn't trust them when we still needed to. We couldn't depend on them when we still needed to. Some of us, because it was abusive, they had addiction issues, their marriage was falling apart, they dealt with their own insecurity and self-worth. But some of us grew up in families where it's like, I didn't have a childhood. When I needed to depend on and trust you, you weren't there. When I needed you the most... The only way to begin to even honor your parents is you have to forgive them. Listen, forgiveness is not condoning. It's not saying what they did was okay. Two different things. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. You can't forget. You'll never forget. Forgiveness is not reconciliation where we get back to the relationship to normal, whatever normal was. Forgiveness is resolving to set that person free and resolving to live your life free from bitterness, anger, and resentment. Forgiveness. I was talking to a 27-year-old young man, Asian. Father cheated on his mom, ran off, left him and his three siblings alone. And as I was talking to him, I see the anger growing, growing, growing. And he said this, he goes, I will never be like my dad. I will never, if I have kids, I will never do what my dad did to us. And I looked at him, I said, you're still enslaved in bitterness. Your dad's not even around. He's still controlling you. He's still controlling you. You're in a prison, prison of hate, and you'll never be free until you can say, I forgive you. (sighs) Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Setting somebody free in the depths of your heart, resolving to live your life free from anger, hate, bitterness, and revenge is something that you can do. And lastly, You have to make sure you're a son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. You'll never be able to honor your parents unless you're free from your need for their approval. You and I will never be free to honor our parents unless we're free from their need for approval. It's one thing to grow up physically. It's another thing to grow up psychologically. But spiritually, the only way you and I can grow up, the only way that we can be free from our parents is if you're looking to the love of your heavenly father and not your earthly father. If you're looking to the verdict of your heavenly father, not your earthly father. If you're looking to the affirmation of your heavenly father and not your earthly father. You will never grow up until you are set free from the need for their approval their evaluation. Every single one of us comes in. Matt, I'm going to go down. I know it's going to mess up a little bit. Every single one of us, because I need to talk to you face to face, every single one of us comes into this world 
desperately needing to be loved unconditionally, to be accepted unconditionally, but the kind of love that will never put up with self-destructive behavior. I don't even need to know your story. You and I have this need to be loved unconditionally, accepted unconditionally, but the kind of love that says, I will not put up with self-destructive behavior. But no parent is capable of loving us like that. None. So all of us grow up feeling like I wasn't loved properly. All of us. All of us. And the only way that we could begin to honor our parents is if you can actually see that there's only one source of perfect love. And that's him. John 17, Jesus prays this most incredible prayer. He says, Father, I'm your only begotten. I'm the only natural born son on earth. But he says, for their sake, my brothers and sisters, will you adopt them? Will you adopt them? Will you adopt them? And he says, and love them like you love me. Can I ask, when you hear that, does your heart leap? When you hear that Jesus loves you like Jesus, God loves you like he loves Jesus, does that make your heart leap? If it doesn't, you will never grow up and be set free from the validation need that you have from your earthly parents. No parent on earth is capable of loving you the way you and I need to be loved. It's not their fault. We're all sinful human beings redeemed by our creator, but we're all on a journey. And as long as you keep looking to them and saying, where's the love I needed? Where's the validation I needed? Where's the verdict I needed? We'll never grow up until we come to the place of saying, I will stop weeping over the fact that you weren't able to give that love. But I have it, mom and dad, in my heavenly father. So I appreciate you, but I'm going above and beyond you to the only person source that could heal this. Come home. Come home. Come home to the only source of love that at the end of the day, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do you think it means? It means to hear those words, I love you like I love my son. And have that grasp your heart in such a way that you're able to look at your parents saying, I love you, appreciate you're flawed human beings. You didn't give me what I needed, but you know what? I'm not going to go to that source and spend the half of my life. Some of you, the sexual messes you're in, I'm your pastor, you're still trying to get that validation from that lover. Why? You're a workaholic. Why? I'm going to prove my dad wrong. I'm going to prove my mom. Why? Why are you killing yourself? for the, you're, not, you're not even speaking to them anymore. And yet, you're controlled by them. Come home. Come home. Come home. It's the only way you're going to be able to look at your parents and go, I'll take you seriously. And it may take a while, but I forgive.